0: Hi, I'm Ken Sweeney. This is the Comfortable Spot. Welcome. I'm joined by Irish author and academic, Dr Jennifer Cassidy. Originally from Dublin, Ireland, Jennifer is based at the University of Oxford. Having received her doctorate in 2016, Jennifer specialises in researching international development and digital diplomacy. A proud advocate of gender and human rights, Jennifer has spoken at TED Oxford and is a regular media contributor, and I was delighted to get the opportunity to have a chat with her. so I hope you're sitting comfortably and happy to stay with us. Hello, Jennifer. How are you? Fine, thank you. Jennifer, I got to know you because I follow you on Twitter. That's that's the main source of a, a lot of people that I get to follow around when it comes to um, politics and so on. And what I found that you're very active and it's really great to see. Um, and also you make sense, you know, because sometimes people <laughs> like me, we make sense maybe 10% of the time and then the, the rest of the 90% were just waffling. But I wanted to find out a little bit more about, you know, your background and so on and what brought you to where you are today. And we're not always going to talk about politics here as well, so don't feel <laughs> under any pressure on that one. Uh, but I wanted to ask you, um, you, you're very prominent in your career and it's it's really brilliant to see. So I was wondering what, what brought you to a career in diplomacy and academia? How did that start for you?
1: Um, well, thank you for for, for say, saying such uh, lovely things. Uh, before you start, um, I, I see it's strange, uh, winding roads that really that brought brought me to it. I had, I really had no intention of doing anything academic, uh, anything to do with uh let alone history politics just academia in general so uh, my my life ambition girl was always to be a violinist a musician um and that was set in my in my mind i didn't that was the avenue that that was um the goal so we were all all well, my siblings were music scholarships to, you know, our secondary school. Uh, it didn't matter if we did homework or not, as long as we practiced. Um, you know, academics wasn't that highly regarded. <laughs> um, you know, not not in a bad way, but music was, was the main thing. But I think what was so wonderful about the music was because we did it to such a high standard, you know, for better, for, for better or for worse, it taught us a lot of things, like you know, like extreme discipline and dedication, and you know, and uh, played in the Irish Youth Orchestra all my life, and 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 uh, played in Carnegie Hall and Sydney Opera House, and 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 so yeah, this that that was that was all I really intended to do, and my nickname during you know school was violin girl wild and <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, um yeah academics and and actually i was invited back to a prize a, a prize night at my i'm sure i can say my school wesley college um which i had an absolutely wonderful experience i couldn't i couldn't uh, uh recommend it you know Highly, highly enough, and we were, you know, grateful enough to be all on music scholarships to, uh, you know, attend attend the school. But they have a speaker at the prize night uh, every every year, and I was invited back uh, a few years ago to give the speech. But I opened the speech with saying, "Oh, this is you know, somewhat of an amusing aspect to this invitation." considering I myself during my six years at Wesley never once won an academic prize okay. <laughs> and then and then, and, and then everyone was laughing and I think the principal was a bit like oh god she's gone rogue <laughs> um, and then I said and I was like oh and it's not like I narrowly missed these prizes you know and since this speech is going to be one about the un- unspoken joys of coming second I was like no no I got nowhere near these prizes these academic prizes um but then the speech got serious but like my my intention was to say to them they're like look if if you didn't win a prize tonight that's fine keep going if you did that's brilliant keep going but like you never know what direction you're going to end up so to move to move then on to um I started my degree in my degree in violin um and then I got a back injury and not nothing too severe, but it still it still hurts to, uh, t- today. But you know, it just wouldn't have been viable to you know have a full career in uh, as, as a as a violinist. And so I just thought, oh well, what will I do? And I remember I loved history in school because I had an amazing history teacher, and I thought, what goes well with that? politics mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. and that that's literally how um it happened and then i ended up having a phenomenal uh politics lecturer uh I, i'm i'm sure i can name her uh, dr jack Van hayden in, in, in trinity and in in final year and i just thought yeah this is something i'm really really interested it sounds cheesy but i was always very very interested just in learning and current events and everything like that but nothing was ever planned along the way or, or, or anything of 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 the source but was, was trinity
0: yeah. um was trinity a choice for you or did you have a few choices to make or was was it always going to be trinity in your eyes
1: well, yes, because I was so bad at Irish um, and <laughs> that I yeah, yeah, oh God. Like I oh yeah. That was not that was, <laughs> um, even though I do have an Irish app that I'm trying to get, get <laughs> we all have aunt, that, yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, I know. And um, it's like, make your goal today, you know, like, mm, have I ever made my goal today? Like, but um because I started in music in Trinity, yeah, but my whole family is UCD, um, and actually, my one of the reasons I wanted to go to Trinity was because my grandfather. Um, the most Irish name Paddy Lavin uh, he wanted to go to Trinity but true story that him and his friends uh, applied to go and they said that if they went they would be excommunicated from the church by Rome and and him being you know the good the good Catholic was a Oh God, no, couldn't do that. Um, so he didn't he didn't go he didn't go to UCD either, but his friend actually went to Trinity and actually got a letter from Rome excommunicating him. Wow. Yeah, it was wonderful that at my graduation, my my grandfather like my could could be there. Yeah. So I was the only one in my family who went to, to Trinity. And then yeah, I had no intention of doing it, doing a post grad or anything. Mm of the source it seems like i have no intention of doing anything the way i'm speaking about it <laughs> <I don't laughs> but, know. a lot of people yeah, um, do that yeah yeah and then i applied for um i don't know what i was thinking i applied i was like oh i'm not doing a postgrad and then mm. I was like, oh, I am. So I just applied to LSE, Oxford and Cambridge. Like, who does that sound like? It went from from zero to 100 late. Um, And yeah, I was fortunate enough to get into all of them. And then I just, I picked Oxford and that was was it. But then I left after the master's and then worked in diplomacy for a few years and then came back.
0: Tell us a little bit about the digital diplomacy because this is where... I when I when I first started to follow you I noticed this coming up a lot and I'm fascinated by it so I'd like us to have a chat about you know the, the idea of digital diplomacy and just to kind of Maybe I'm not. I'm not obviously not an expert on it, so you could probably guide me through it without <laughs> getting too technical. Yeah. But if I was to make a guess at it, I presume it's all about kind of introducing new ways of communication in terms of digital communication, is it? And I'm, I'm, I'm a bit yeah,
1: yeah, no, 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 exactly. And not to give like a mini lecture series, but <laughs> diplomacy. D- the diplomacy has like three pillars: uh, communication, negotiation, and representation. Right. And the communication aspect is the one that everyone has, you know, focused on, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, quite rightly um, so far regarding, you know, the change of, of, of social media. But, you know, representation is also changing with embassies, actual full accredited embassies being accredited to Silicon Valley, not states. Right. Yeah, which I Personally, I think is fascinating. Um,
0: so that's kind of like uh, sovereignty without any borders, isn't it? In some way?
1: Yeah, so that's a, a, a book that I'm currently editing, The Foreign Policy mm-hmm. of Silicon Valley. Um, so uh, Denmark has done this. Um, France have followed suit. And it's not like it's a branch of an embassy. It is an actual embassy to Silicon Valley. Wow. Because Silicon Valley holds more power than you know, yeah. most—not um, most, but like a large proportion of, of democratic states—but it also leads to the question of like they're not gov- governed under diplomatic law. So mm-hmm. there's all, exactly. all this, but any, but all to say, it's changed representation as well. It's also changed negotiation. Pandemic it has 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 shown this, uh, but the communication side, you know, ha- has certainly changed, but. After, you know, when I wrote the PhD initially, I was like, this this was pre-Trump. And, mm-hmm. you know, the whole thing with the PhD is the question is, well, why does it matter? Yeah, but Trump came along the last year of the PhD. So I looked at uh, digital diplomatic crisis communication. So digital diplomacy during times of political crisis. So he essentially just came along and improved my entire thesis yeah so, exactly yeah initially i went in but like this is life-changing for diplomacy you know it's so transformative mm-hmm. all this stuff but to tell the truth <laughs> it is and i've been hammering the, this home to you know in articles and to, to, to students like it's just an evolution it's not a revolution yeah. of, of of diplomacy and there's the the I say the famous quote but like <laughs> no one knows it. I just think it's the famous quote but it's the famous quote of Lord Palmerston he was the foreign secretary in 1851 and when he received his first telegraph he his exact statement was by god this is the end of diplomacy because you yeah. have to reply within a month I'm like mm, okay so if he thought It was the end of diplomacy because he had to quickly reply within four weeks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is is certainly, you know, an 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 evolution, (laughs) Uh, not a revolution. You know, like uh, like the fax machine the the telephone, the teleg- the telegraph. Yes, we're we're seeing it on a much wider, mm. you know, more more diverse scale, much greater impact. No one, absolutely no one, is den- denying that. Uh, but to say it a revolution, I think is a is a strong statement. I think which people would have to back up with, I think some some very very hard claims.
0: What I've noticed especially over say the last five years on social media and particular Twitter is how embassies themselves are behaving on Twitter so look for example if you look at say a book by AJP Taylor for example the struggle for mastery in Europe so if you look at the how if you read that book and you see how the you know diplomatic channels worked and how embassies worked you know there was there was there was this level of competency and then this level of respect and also this level of uh, behavior between embassies it was just it was an you know there was this high level that was never breached whereas if you look at what's happening in on twitter now you look at say yeah. russia right how do they how their embassy behaves bad new zealand how their embassy is behaving on twitter superb yeah and this is kind of to me it's worrying isn't it because you have such a a, a flippancy isn't it about some of the, some of the way some of the embassies are behaving not only are they behaving pretty low in terms of like showing themselves off pretty badly but it's kind of dangerous isn't it some of the way there's some of those tweets Certainly from a historical yeah, point of view.
1: Particularly because of the changeover of staff.
0: Hmm.
1: And, and we know that like most embassies, the longest you'd stay in an embassy would be four years. Um, and then you would go back to capital. And so it's a different style for each ambassador or yeah. a different style for each embassy. And, you know, the loss of credibility or the loss of tone or the change of tone is very hard to get back, Um, you know, once it's changed. However, with that said, it's almost impossible not to engage online now in in this era of of social media. Mm -hmm. But one one of the problems is that there's just not enough training yeah, for 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 diplomats, and they're either too terrified. I think rightly so. You know, like too terrified to post something that you know could be regarded, well, like either a breach of national security. You mm-hmm. know, if you or just something that could be misconstrued the wrong the wrong way. Um, Or they simply don't know how to use it. Or they're too eager to engage. Or, you know, they're too eager to kind of get the tone of Twitter and quote unquote, get down with the youth. Mm. Um, But that's not what it's about. There needs to be a delicate balance. Uh, you know, between actually have they call it like like a GDP like government to people, yeah, um, like dialogue on, on on Twitter, which is extremely useful during a crisis, where you know an ambassador comes on and actually engages with the public, mm-hmm. or like issue issues of diaspora, particularly like for Irish accounts in, in engaging with them, public diplomacy events, like these things are all like really really useful tool for digital diplomacies but uh or and and tactics and or the digital diplomacy like communication toolbox but but like digital diplomacy spats or you know sending memes or this kind of thing
0: exactly
1: it, it, it loses it's it loses its its credibility, and you know it's very hard to then enter a negotiating table after you've like shared <laughs> shared a funny meme for you know a laugh for for twenty minutes. You you, know.
0: you sometimes think is is that is that a tweet really coming from the Russian embassy in whatever country, or is it just somebody who's just kind of made up a parody account? Sometimes, I, the other thing I wanted to ask you was uh, to sum up on this: is digital diplomacy becoming the main? F- form of diplomacy do you think will it be in the future the only way or what do you think
1: no it i think it's a tendency for that to be kind of branded it is a strand of diplomacy Mm -hmm. like let's not forget like back channel the nuclear deal that was you know okay i know now it's they backtracked we'll just kind of forget that backtracking part a little Um, but the back channel diplomacy all of all those um, channels of diplomacy are still so so important and need to be kept up and the focus despite me you know doing research on digital diplomacy Mm. you know the focus on actual foreign policy making domestic um, domestic policymaking in the name of your country, public diplomacy tactics behind the scenes, and then exposing the product when it's done, when it's finished, is still, I think, going to be the bread and butter of diplomacy. There's no way technology is not going to... Be integrated into, as I said, the negotiation, representation, and uh, the communication aspect of diplomacy for the rest of, of time. Um, but I think a a hyper focus on it, I, I think, needs to dim down a bit and this is saying this is this is coming from someone whose job it is to study us.
0: yeah i mean i agree with you probably it's become it's going to become part and parcel of the overall art of diplomacy and as long as i think what we always need to worry about is whether the art of diplomacy becomes less and less professional you know it becomes as you say a mudslinging match that's the last thing we don't want to see i wanted to talk to you about something that i think everybody in academia seems to be talking about nowadays and rightly so Mm -hmm. and it's about women in academia. You've got a lot of experience I suppose in this and I was going to ask you do you think as we go into 2022, that there is a greater increasing balance and participation, especially in the top positions, because I did speak to somebody before on a science podcast about this. And he said that uh, he was an academic as well. And he spoke about uh, in the the physics, for example, um, world is that there wasn't enough and there still isn't enough. And I'm just wondering in your experience, have you experienced that or is it better?
1: Every single part of me wants to say, No, it's in no way better. And the diplomatic side of me wants to say, oh, yes, it's getting better. And, you know, we're moving towards this. But no, it's not. And I I do realize, and I was talking to someone today, you know, like the fact that I'm complaining that I'm not getting like a top job at the top university in the world, like, is the least problem of anyone's concern, including my own. Like the level of statement of, like, oh, I'm not getting the top job and the top universe. Like, you know, get over myself type of thing. You know, like, so fully, fully recon- <laughs> with fully recognizing that it's 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 extremely difficult. And I and I speak for the the politics and particularly for the diplomacy side, which is because that's where my experience comes from providing like the academic realm the course that I did for my master's and then left as I said uh, to do diplomacy for a few years and then came back and was a teaching research assistant with them for four years and I had the most wonderful supervisor I could not say enough the words about about this man and you know he would champion you know me and and women to the to the end of the year like i struck gold with him however that course has been going i believe for 20 years and they've never once firmly hired a woman
0: i don't know what to say to you on that like
1: never never once and actually so that supervisor was going on sabbatical and he said oh will you apply for the job because i i know the course inside out and i just you know replied to him but you don't hire women (laughs) like (laughs) and he he's you know he's wonderful and he was kind of like oh fair enough and then so I didn't apply because I also I already had another job at the university. So I said, like, you know, why put myself through this? So they they did the rounds. They they applied for it was for a two year contract and they gave it to this man. But his wife didn't want to relocate from America for the two years, which is which is fair enough. Then the other candidate, who will not be named, but the other candidate who did apply was then not offered the job in in the first round. So they opened it up again and they said, will you apply again? And I said, okay, fine. Like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll apply. So I applied, I got the job, but then I was told to my face by... Uh, a colleague did the PhD within it that I only got it because I was a woman. (laughs) Like, those exact words.
0: So they just can't get it right. In other words, they can either be dog-ignorant to the fact that there are women out there talented enough to do the job, or they can be outwardly discriminatory, or they can actually say... Oh, God, we better do this then, because if we don't, there'll be war. Yeah. So there's none of those, none of those alternatives are good, Yeah, and whatever the uh, outcome. And he
1: said, oh, the other candidate who won't be in there, like, that was his job. And I said, let me remind <sighs> you, I didn't even apply for the job. And, and second of all, if they wanted that other candidate, they would have gone to him after the first person rejected the role and they didn't they reopened it. So it wasn't his job. I didn't take his job. And yeah, there's also been like one incident that very much stuck in my head that we've an Oxford uh, digital diplomacy group myself. um, My uh, previous supervisor who I said is phenomenal. And uh, this other uh, he's now finished the P- PhD? He also did it on digital diplomacy. So the three of us did it, but we, and this was pre-COVID, invited all the kind of like world-leading professors on diplomacy uh to, to yeah. come to our department to discuss digital diplomacy, etc., etc. Now, bear in mind these professors would not have studied diploma uh, digital diplomacy. They would have done their PhDs and their their life's research on like. Nearly any other topic than digital digital diplomacy, they were they were I don't want to say just jumping on board because I would certainly do that too. Like at the uh, at any time in my career, like a new avenue of diplomacy opening up. So I'm not I'm not judging that. Uh, so we invited them. You know they were our guests in, in our in our department, and of course there were sixteen of us. Of course I, I was the only woman in the room, and on this I had never mentioned gender once in three days like didn't even say the word and on the third day we were discussing like grants and research proposals and the professor at the top of the room uh non ox professor he, he won't be named but he just pointed down to the end the and was like and jennifer maybe we could do something on gender and feminism
0: okay yeah exactly they assumed that that was on your mind
1: (laughs) yeah but to my to my uh supervisor's credit and this is like the the benefit and uh, the appreciation of like you know men standing up these were professors (laughs) you know like it may seem like i have confidence but i don't have all the I don't have the confidence the world to be taken on a group of sixteen male, world-renowned sure. diplomacy masters from around the world, but he, but he just said, "Well, may I remind you, Jennifer is the only one sitting in this room who holds a PhD in digital diplomacy."
0: There you go. Yeah
1: and it was thanks to him so like you know made made such a difference and to be fair to the guy who said it came up and apologized after like he didn't mean to say it but it just shows how ingrained
0: uh, automatic it is. it is
1: yeah yeah
0: there's an entire podcast series on yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. That you and i could talk for you and yeah. i could talk for 3 yeah. hours and yeah. you know <laughs> three, we could have six separate podcasts on six separate subjects it ha- i suppose at the end of the day we, this decision as well should mainly fall to women as well you know they should have a, an active role in how uh, d- d- you know democracies are laid out because democracies are always changing and, uh, you know, as long as we have equal say, in, and that's the whole idea of democracy, isn't it? it should be for everyone, yeah. not just for men. And yeah. that's how it applies. And I suppose that's what we need to do, isn't yeah, it?
1: Yeah, exactly. The, the, and I, and but, I'll just say there, and so, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. Uh, like, even just that story of, like, me not applying for the, the job, I recognize myself that, like, I also deselected myself out of the process. Mm. So I'm fully aware that like many times I have deselected myself out of it and it's not like oh woe is me because I'm not going to get it. I also see that they don't hire women but you know I I could have the courage to say well I will apply like and mm. I ended up applying and I and I did get the job. So it is on all of us. And yes, it takes courage to apply or run, run for election and do this and and, and and, you know, get the resources behind you. But you know, I certainly, I always say to my students, like, don't deselect yourself out of the process. And a motto, in, a motto in my life is, I've applied for so many jobs, been rejected for so many. But my logic is always like, somebody's going to get it. Why can't it be you?
0: That's really good. I, <laughs> I'll take that advice myself. And you're, you're an Irish woman and you're based in Britain, if I'm correct. Yeah. I'm just curious as to how, you know, your experience in that because I know anybody who follows you on Twitter will know you're extremely active when it comes to uh, UK politics and (laughs) that's fine because I always, uh, no, I actually always think that Irish people have an investment in uh, in, uh, UK politics because no one follows UK politics Outside of Britain more than Irish people, yeah. so you know we, we do have we do have an inner ear and an inner eye on the politics of the UK. I just wanted to ask you, what is it like living in a post-Brexit society now? Does Britain feel like a different place now than it did say in 2014, or even say just after the UK Olympics? You're, not, you're almost like, uh, you know, that sort of sitting on the fence sort of way, you know, and you can get a good look at it. So I'm just curious, is the mood, what's the mood oh, like there? yeah,
1: no, Brexit? it is not a good mood. And of course, I do not speak for the country in, in the slightest. <laughs> but, you know, so many of people on Twitter I, I interact with are UK citizens. Uh, my sister who lives in Ireland is married to, you know, a UK <laughs> citizen they all share the same view. I get the random comment being like, what do you care? Like the hypocrisy. I'm like, well, if everyone else can say it, like I pay taxes. Like I got a comment the other day saying, we house you, we feed you. I think, excuse me? You house me? You feed me? I'm like, "Mm, I don't think so. My obsession with, and I always butcher her second name, so my obsession, Apologies for anyone. Hannah, I will spell her second name and rather than pronounce it, A-R-E-N-D-T, but she is my idol in life. But she is uh, was a political philosopher. There's a documentary actually on of her on Netflix, but she wrote the origins of totalitarianism and observed the rise of fascism in the 1920s uh in Europe and like if you just google any of her quotes it, you know be it the US or the UK it's like it just explains everything like absolutely everything that is happening and you know one of her quotes that I will say to my students is like this was before even Trump said the thing about fake news, and and like we were seeing this whole thing about party gauge and all this stuff, you know, in Britain. And it's like the ideal subject of this is like a direct quote. It's like the ideal subject of totalitarian rule is not the convinced communist or the ardent Nazi, but the person for whom fact and fiction and truth and falsehood no longer exist. If like, if people have time, just Google Hannah and then the spelling of her name that I said, M A or E N D T, and the banality of evil. She also wrote that it's just like I'm sure she wished that she wasn't writing a prophecy, um, but it is so so similar to what is happening in Britain right now, and it's just so shocking to see the news and that it's still happening and and no one's resigning and history makes a lot more sense. If that makes, if that like rings true a a bit, that, that these things can happen. You almost think, you know, you look back in history when you're, you're believing. So you're like, Oh, that would never happen, you know, in the future. And you're like, you're like, "Mm, yeah, nope can kind of see how that would happen can kind of see how you would edge towards that but i'm i'm not sure anything will take this man down i always said i would return to ireland i actually was planning to return to ireland after the phd but i was lucky enough to get the job two weeks after the final viva so i was like not not going to turn it down but I do think Ireland's
0: calling because you've got such a finger on the pulse there. Like you have so many people, you know, interacting with you. It's 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 incredible. I don't know how you keep up. Do Do you think that um, the UK is heading in itself towards a, a kind of breaking up because we know Scotland wants to go? So
1: yes, yeah, I, don't, I don't.
0: Again, I don't want to go into too much detail. But
1: I did do an event. I spoke at Trinity in Dublin in their Phil Society. Ironically, I never spoke there when I was a student because I was too afraid. Um, um, right, like, yeah, Don't blame like, you. Yeah, to, like it's, it's
0: it's it's a tiger pit.
1: <laughs> yeah, and like literally too afraid to even enter. And then like a few years later, hey guys, like me entering. Like, um, but the the this was uh, I think in November. But the question of the debate was: Is Ireland ready for border poll? Like, i.e., unity and. Uh, I was told I could pick any side and and I said no, purely because, and, and this is just, this is my personal view. Yes, I would like to see a United Ireland, probably the first time I said that publicly, but yes, I would like to see that, but not at any cost. And actually, and when I say any cost not even at a little cost of, of, like, a loss of peace. Respect has to be given to all sides, uh, like, both the the, the unionists. Like, I, I've reached out to a few unionists on, on Twitter just to have a conversation with, you know, whether I agree with them or not, just, you know, to hear their their logic, what what they want. Like, as long as someone, like, agrees with facts... <laughs> I'm good. Like, you know, it once you start like not to, once you start like disagreeing with facts, you know, like with the DUP that like dinosaurs aren't real, like, no, we're gone. Like yeah. we're, we, we, we don't have a discussion. But, you know, unionists who have, you know, genuine, I don't even want to say concerns, but like loyalties and and and, you know, as cliche as it sounds, like nothing is. Unity is not worth jeopardizing peace over. So, regardless of my personal opinion towards a united Ireland, uh, a professional opinion would be you dash that sustains and preserves peace. I think we all know that I would have no time for the UK if they started pushing, if they were the ones who ended up pushing us in that direction because the Good Friday Agreement was such a triumph on whatever I want to say about UK politicians and, like, uh, whatever I want to say about, like, certain US politicians. The work that they did for that Good Friday Agreement, like, they slept under tables, like, <laughs> they, you know, it was a phenomenal, a phenomenal achievement. And passed by, what was it, like, 70-something in the North and eight. Um, yeah. And eighty something I mean, it was in, the, in, in in the huge yeah and the cheer like you know so so absolutely nothing is that but I, I and I hope I'm quoting co- her her right here but I heard Mary McAleese speak on like the concept of United Ireland recently and she said something very poignant about if this was to come about it wouldn't or we would frame it around. People not losing or gaining or side winning, it would be like a reconstruction of a new entity, you know. And I thought that's not a direct quote, but that's the the vibe or the you know the the words I got got from her. And I think that is what would be needed because I think a loss or a gain or a win or someone was fe- to feel like they don't want this like it's, <laughs> it's cliche to say peace at all costs like whatever my whatever my personal opinion on, on a united ireland professional opinion like i would sign a paper any day to say if it if it said x y and z will will sustain the peace sign my name even if my head said like i want united ireland there's no way i would put that over the cost of peace.
0: I'm actually delighted to have the opportunity to talk to you no, today. Thank you
1: so much for having me on.
0: It's a great to get a voice to the to the tweets. That's what I <laughs> want to say. And um, you know, it's just as far more interesting than than 128 uh, characters or ever were allowed now. <laughs> but um, the other thing I wanted to ask you—we on the end with what are you reading or watching at the moment or following? What's interesting out there that you that you're that you're doing
1: academically, or are we thinking like yeah, whatever? So, what do
0: like, what you? What books are you reading at the moment, or are you watching anything on television <laughs> that's, that you're finding <laughs> well, fascinating? Like, and-
1: Again, my general show, Succession.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah, i um, haven't seen it, but oh, I believe it's, it's amazing. It? Oh, I know, I'm terrible for television. No, Succession is
1: a <laughs> must. I have seen it twice because saw so it once and then made my parents rewatch it at, <laughs> at Christmas. It is phenomenal. It's kind of well. I say this with zero evidence, by the way, and um, I think it's based <laughs> around the Maxwell family, like media, oh, nice. um, okay.
0: Oh, it is. I have seen that. Yeah, I have seen that being mentioned. Oh, I think you're right. I think you've got it, it some background. Br- to it yeah. No, it's,
1: it's it's absolutely brilliant. The, the dialogue is just, yeah, brilliant. And yeah, this, uh, <laughs> this may seem low but I don't even care. Um, I am the biggest fan of Gogglebox.
0: Oh, who isn't yeah everybody loves yeah, that yeah, yeah yeah
1: uh the uk ver-
0: it's like being it's like the zoo keepers watching the zoo keepers yeah and for years i resisted i
1: was like i'm not watching people watching on like watching tv yeah. that's ridiculous and then like me one episode in this is the best thing i have ever seen and <laughs> um, and the yeah, the uk version mary and giles just yeah they're just
0: now, yeah I, I thought for a second now, Jennifer, you were going to say Dancing with the Stars there, and I would have had no respect for you. Oh, no. We would have shut down this podcast oh, straight no! Ne-
1: ne- I have never, never watched <laughs> Dancing with Someone actually commented to me the other day saying like, oh, next we'll see you dancing on ice. And I was like, uh I don't oh. think so. I was like, because I was like, A, never. <laughs> I was like, and B last time i went on ice rink i was like when i was 24 i was like i broke my elbow to the song of my humps by the pussycat dolls so i was like okay that's not a good way so to I was go like, no no it's like not <laughs> the best memory um so <laughs> n- no um but no succession oh it's a must an absolute right. abs- so abs- must. so uh,
0: listen <laughs> it's <Yeah>. been fantastic <laughs> talking to you today <laughs> I really enjoyed our chat and actually we, we said we were going to talk for 20 minutes you know we've like been talking for nearly oh. 50 minutes so <laughs> there you go this is what like happens when you get
1: f- five days yeah. later five days later yeah I really should yeah. do it yeah, yeah. you know it's okay. like
0: Twitter Twitter was invented for Irish people because we just love to communicate and and, and, and you know like people out there listening to how can these two people just talk for two, an hour it's because we're Irish I think it'll yeah. be interesting to see what my other guests how long my other guests will last you know I'm yeah, um, yeah. putting money on if that that we that will be the longer one. So come here if they want people want, people want to find you online. It's Oxford Diplomat, yeah, capital O, yeah. capital D, isn't it? Yeah,
1: the most pretentious name ever, and it was in like I I put it at like it was two thousand and thirteen, yeah. and I think I was just like starting the PhD. I was like, oh, I'll do this, and then I just never change it, and now ah sure. Who cares? It's um, yeah. brilliant. <laughs>
0: it's yes. easy to remember. Sure, if you try, if you tried to get that now, you'd have to add about five thousand numbers beside it. Yeah, so.
1: and, and <laughs> my my not that I well my Instagram I, I is more just like a personal thing, but I think I downloaded mm-hmm. Instagram like the second day it came out. Like so, right. so my name on it is just Ash. My name is Jennifer. <laughs> that's that's actually quite cool (laughs) that's how that's how quick it was but that's just like not that political that's just that's just basically memes
0: I'm sure Jennifer Lopez was pretty annoyed when she saw that I know because she'd be the sort that would love to get it. she did text me I was
1: like Jennifer that's really annoying she didn't obviously
0: (laughs) (laughs) I thought she was going to email you and ask you for like if you wanted two thousand you know two million dollars or something to take that off you but obviously not yeah I was like "Um, actually
1: Jen I'll take five but
0: that's cool yeah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. just get me just get me something in the local curry shop I'll be yeah fine. yeah
1: yeah yeah like a spice bag and we will round. yeah like uh,
0: yeah know. yeah <laughs> jennifer thanks so much for talking to me today no
1: worries at all no worries lovely to talk to. You.
0: and um we will see you online of course and i wanted to thank you all for listening to us today you've been listening to the My name is Ken Sweeney. This is the Comfortable Spot podcast. I hope you were sitting comfortable throughout that whole interview, (laughs) Jennifer. Of course, you can get Jennifer online. I would thoroughly recommend it if you're interested in good conversation, a bit of banter, Irish style, and uh, sticking up for us over here, Dr. Jennifer Casty at Oxford Diplomat on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening to us today and we'll see you real soon. Take care. (laughs) Bye-bye.